0: Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6, 16 through 19. Now these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, and feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. And the next title that we have here in the next verses is Do Not Commit Adultery. Much of the first six chapters deal with the issue of sexual sins. And if you go back to, uh, you don't have to, but the first chapter is written by Solomon. In verse 8 it tells us that he's directing it to his son. So here's a father, and it's Father's Day, speaking to his son about the dangers of Adultery in particular, but sexual sins. Now the purpose of the Proverbs, as we make our way through the Proverbs, is of course, over and over again it says, so that we can obtain wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why do we need wisdom? Answer is, to avoid the things that God hates. We sang that first song this morning, I wanna love what you love, Lord, and I wanna hate what you hate. And uh, so the purpose and reason we study the book of Proverbs is that we obtain that healthy fear of the Lord and along with the things that God hates, we also hate, and along with the things that he loves, uh, he loves. Now, he does this because he doesn't want you to get hurt. And uh, he teaches us his word so that if we obey it, uh, we won't have to learn things the hard way. So if you look at verse 23 through 29, it's going to get into the area of a father talking to his son about the seductress woman and uh, adultery. Verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp and a law is light. Reproofs of instructions are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her... Allure you with her eyelids, for by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Question, can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. This morning, I would like to look over the last 50 years at the decline of our nation morally, but more specifically, I'd like to talk about the decline of uh, morality within the Church of Jesus Christ. And um, in the early days, it's, it's nothing new, it. it was an issue that was, if there was a sexual problem in the early church, For instance, I'll have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 at this time and give you an example. When there was um, sexual immorality in the church at Corinth, evidently the leadership um, refused to deal with something that was commonly known amongst the people in the church, and yet nothing was being done about it. Paul is not in Corinth at this time, so he writes a letter. Let's pick it up in um, um, chapter 5, the first five verses. Paul says, you know, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Explanation point. And you're puffed up. You've not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For indeed, as absent in the body, Paul wasn't there, I'm there in spirit. Uh, I've already judged as though I were present concerning him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This is actually telling us, at this point, this has to be done, because this guy thinks he's actually going to make it to heaven, and unless the sin is dealt with, he needs to have, uh, be disfellowshipped so that the devil can work him over, and hopefully he'll repent. And then he goes on to say, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glory is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven will leaven the whole lump? Therefore, that's what I want you to do, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, or the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul dealt with it. It was a black and white issue to him. And um, the good news is that uh, this guy, after a period of time, he wasn't allowed in, in the church. God bless you. You're welcome. The good news is the discipline worked. And when Paul is writing, I'm not going to have you turn there. But, I, you know, who knows what this guy went through over the next several months. Not being able to hang with his friends. Not being able to worship. Uh, not being able to hear the Bible study. But he was, he was eliminated from all that. Why? So he'd have to look at himself in the mirror and said, buddy, you blew it. And uh, you were continuing in a sin. This was ongoing. But the good news is when when we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is writing again. Now, this guy's back in the church. But instead of really forgiving from their heart and loving on the guy and making him feel welcome, um, Paul had to write what he personally went through in having to deal with this particular issue. One of the hardest things I ever had to do. Uh was a good friend of mine, member of the church for many, many years. Um, was in this sort of a, a, a relationship many years ago. And I was close to him. And um, probably one of the most difficult things I ever had to do. I called him by name and I said, you have one or two choices. And uh, there's no in-between in grounds here. Either she goes or you go. And he went. And it broke my heart. And... Um, Uh, so it's it's something that in 2 Corinthians 2 this one had a different outcome Paul says when I wrote that letter out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears not that you should be grieved but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you this was the most loving thing you could do for this guy but if anybody has caused grief he has not grieved me But all of you, to some extent, not to be too severe. Lighten up on this guy. Love on him. The punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. It achieved its purpose, in other words. So that on the contrary, you ought rather now to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such would be swallowed up with too much sorrow. I mean, when you sin and you repent, do you really need to have somebody... Tell you after you've repented. Usually we're the hardest on ourselves, even after we confess it. We, the the devils, we're not to be ignorant of his devices. But even though the Lord is forgiven and forgotten, the devil can be whispering in your ear. You call yourself a Christian. You remember when you did that thing back there? Yeah, unfortunately I do. But fortunately you can stand upon the Word of God and and quote First John that if you confess your sin. Oh, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. How about an amen at that one? And then he says, I'm not going to remember it anymore. So don't let the devil be whispering in your ear something that you had settled long ago. It's like the song, The Old Account. The Old Account was settled long ago. And I'm not going to let you keep whispering it in my ear. But Paul had to call these guys out and say, come on, guys. Lighten up on him. Love on him. He needs to be restored. Now, Paul will lay out, even though there's forgiveness, like when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, God forgave him. And yet there were consequences. That child was taken from him. Then there was Solomon, and the Lord loved Solomon. I want you to turn one page to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I want to talk about sexual sins and other sins. And in verse 9, the thing that's important that we understand here is he is actually listing sins that if they, a person continues in these sins, he doesn't want you to be deceived by thinking you're going to heaven because you're not. So let's pick it up in verse nine. <clears throat> Paul says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he says, this is so important, do not be deceived on this issue. Neither fornicator, now uh, or or adulterers, or adulteresses, let's just start with those three. The difference between uh, fornication is simply sex outside of marriage. If you're living together and you're unmarried, you're committing fornication. And here the Bible says, don't be deceived. You can't live that way and think everything's fine and you're going to heaven. You're deceiving yourself. Adultery, on the other hand, is what takes place when a husband will cheat on a wife, or a wife will cheat on a, a husband, and it's ongoing, and they're maybe showing up at church and um, uh, thinking everything's okay like the guy in 1 Corinthians. Don't be deceived. Because both of these sins are sins that will keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. And let's be more blunt about it, if you're out of the kingdom of heaven, where does that leave you? It leaves you in hell, which, which people are afraid to, To speak today. And then it says, and homosexuals, nor sodomites. And so now we get into the area of homosexuality. But it doesn't quit there. The list goes on. We were broken into this week. We're praying for these guys, or guy, whoever it is. I don't think they're saved. What do you think? (laughs) I don't think so. So these guys, if they continue this lifestyle, uh, they're not going to make it. So it's equivalent to the sexual sins. And covetousness, nor drunkenness, nor revilers, nor extortioners, what? Will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I look at that list and I go, well, I pretty much committed most of those. Wrong. I've sinned almost all of them. And that's what verse 11 says. And such were some of you. But here's the good news. You were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. As I continue on with this message, it's not with, a, with an air of a, of a pharisaical-type viewpoint that, thank God, I'm not like this list of people. No, I'm more like the guy who's beating his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a miserable sinner. So that's the way of approaching the rest of our message that's going to become a little bit more directed and pointed. So... Paul speaks of one sin in particular that I'm concerned about and I want to speak out against this morning. As part of this list, it's no greater or less of a sin than the other ones listed. But it is the sin of homosexuality that I'm going to address this morning. In Romans chapter 1, beginning with about verse 20, God talks about a group of people that are suppressing the truth deep down inside. The truth is that there is a God because of creation. So that's Romans chapter one. In other words, everybody knows there's a God. And when they say they don't believe that there's a God, the Bible says they're suppressing that truth in unrighteousness, why? Because they don't want their, their sin to be brought out into the open. Then he goes on to say because they refuse to acknowledge God. I'm going to start reading verse 24 now. Therefore, God gives them up. Now, that's a sad day when God gives up on a person. To uncleanness and the lust of their heart, to dishonor their bodies among them, who exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their woman exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, they burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due them. Interesting verse could mean a couple of different things, consequences of the homosexual lifestyle. One of them is AIDS, a recent uh, uh, disease, special over the last 50 years. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. He just gave up on them to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with unrighteousness and sexual immorality. I've entitled this morning's message, The Days of Lot. And uh, with that, I would like to um, ask the question as we turn to Luke chapter 17, and that is, are we living in the days of Lot that Jesus talked about? In Matthew 24, the same narrative, but from a different viewpoint some information is given in Matthew 24 other other information in Luke 17 but Matthew 24 begins with the disciples coming to the Lord and said Lord just tell us what's it going to be like in the last days and the Lord gives a list four times he he says don't be deceived there's going to be false teaching there's going to be false doctrine that's going to uh, uh, come into the church Um, but then in Luke 17, addressing the question about the last days, that's the context that we have here, and it's important that we understand the context. Verse 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the, day, in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Um, our prophecy conference coming up is going to be, um, um, I think, one of the best we've ever had. We have more speakers than we've ever had before. It's quite a lineup, and we'll be promoting that as it comes. But we've entitled it The Days of Noah. And um, The Days of Noah, here, here's a guy that was faithful I mean, can you imagine faithfully serving the Lord your whole life, telling people judgment is coming? You know how many converts he had? and Zip. And he's out there building a boat, telling people judgment is coming. And everybody just went on. The days of Noah, what was it like? Were they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning, everyday life. But then all of a sudden, one day it started to rain and everything changed. Then it says in verse 28, likewise as it was in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all, even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. To move... There's a move out there right now, in the church, to accept same-sex marriage, and my friends, the church must speak out against it. And people, not just behind the the pulpit, but those of you who are hearing this morning, you cannot be passive and indifferent on this issue. We are ripe for judgment anyway, but when it's starting to be promoted by some of the largest churches in the country, then it's a responsibility, um, my responsibility, and others who believe that the Bible is the word of God, uh, to stand up and say so. going to give me a, an encouragement of amen on that one? All right, so I'm going to read what's breaking news this last two weeks. Um, the worship leader of Willow Creek, a very large church, very influential church in Chicago. The worship leader's name is Darren Calhoun. He issued this statement through Willow Creek in the last month. He says, I'm a follower of Jesus, Calhoun wrote, my church community is Willow Creek, the downtown campus of Willow Creek Community Church. There I served as a volunteer for eight years in various parts in our arts and ministries, including leading worship. I'm also gay. As a Christian, I have been on a long journey to reconcile the reality of my orientation with the various views that the church world has on the topic of people who are attracted to the same sex. At Willow, I was able to begin a journey of celibacy and prayerfully discerning what that means for my life. Now, the writer of the article pipes in and says, I could just hear it now. Oh, but he says he's celibate. Says the compromising church, does not matter. He is holding hands and advocating with Matthew Vines as a reformed project leader, representing an organization that is diligently trying to get the church to accept homosexuality. He is still rebelling against God. A Willow Creek spokesman, Heather Larson, told World News Group, Warren Cole Smith that Willow Creek's establishing an openly gay man in leadership at the church does not signal a change in the direction of Willow Creek. In response to that, the writer says, this begs some questions, Heather. What statements of policy are you talking about? And how did it not change? Second, why does Willow Creek appoint leaders who are openly rebelling against God and third, for all of you Willow Creek Association members who are out there who have scolded your sheep for years when they have brought up concerns to your leadership about participating with Bill Heibel's Global Leadership Summit. Do you think that perhaps you should reconsider your participation now? And maybe even perhaps issue an apology to those you have berated for their concerns. Accounts of churches folding to the gay agenda are coming quickly. Now, in the wake, just the last couple of weeks, Tony Campalo's revelation this week that he has changed his mind. He never had that mind changed in the first place, in my opinion. And he is now advocating the full inclusion of the LGBTQ. Members into churches everywhere, and some of you, uh, I didn't know what the Q stood for, so I had to look it up. Let me just go through this: what this organization is. The L is for lesbian, uh, the G is for gay, B is for bisexual, T is for transgender, and believe it or not, the Q is for queer, which surprises me. That's not. I'm just quoting what's written from their own organization. Tony Campolo, um, very popular among many circles, um, is a red-letter Christian. Um, I'm not gonna take for granted that you know what a red-letter Christian is. I'm looking at red letters right now in uh, Luke, and I'm looking at black letters. Revelation one, two, and three is all red letters, but when you get to chapter four, they're all black letters until you get to the end of the book. The red letters are the words that Jesus would have spoken When you get to the book of Acts or any of the epistles or Paul, they do not consider that as the same authority that is uh, in the scriptures. Here's what I have to say for every red-letter Christian. And next time you run across them, maybe you want to remind them about the very last thing that the word of God says. And this is what it says. Revelation 22. I testify, this is the end of the book. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in his book. If anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in the book. And he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. You think God is serious about his word? You think he's serious about anybody messing with it, adding to it, taking away from it? I'd, I'd be scared to death to call myself a red-letter Christian. There's a there's a, um, a direct judgment for anybody that tampers with the authority of, of the scriptures. Willow Creek and Darrell. Uh, Calhoun just last week spoke at a major conference in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, sponsored by Matthew Vines. Well, who is this guy, Matthew Vines? In 2013, Matthew launched the Reformation Project. It's a nonprofit organization um, dedicated to train the LGBT Christians and their allies to reform church the church teaching on sexual orientation and gender identity. He is now expanding his efforts with conferences and uh, regular uh, speaking engagements across the country. One of the speakers from Willow Creek, this Mr. Calhoun, was one of the keynote speakers at this particular um, Reformation project. What is their goal? to change the mindset of what God's word where I clearly quoted from, from 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 and Romans chapter one. The Bible is clear, it's not a gray issue. But it's it's really no different, and I wanna emphasize this, than the thieves that broke it and and, and stole or um, the adulterous thing that Solomon is trying to warn his son against. This really started about the year 1970 one of the very first cases was from Minnesota when a gay couple went to apply for a marriage license in in Minneapolis. Uh, The clerk denied the license saying that marriage was limited to a person of the opposite sex. Uh, Despite the fact that Minnesota state marriage laws did not specify gender at the time, the two people, Baker and McConnell, moved forward suing the court in uh, state court where the judge upheld the clerk's decision and specifically ordained no such license be issued. Now, that was 1970. Fast forward 45 years. 37 states now have legal same-sex marriage. 13 states ban same-sex marriage. But it has grown from the 70s to the 80s to the 90s, and I've seen just in the last couple years, exponentially, how they've become much more aggressive in um, having uh, uh, this creep into the church. Now, Willow Creek has turned the church into something the scriptures and God's word, word clearly um, declares as wrong and sinful. Um, turn with me to Matthew 13, and while you're turning there, um, <clears throat> tell you what the Lord has put on my heart to do. I'm working on page four of a letter that I'm writing because I went online and I wanted to know what churches in the state of Wisconsin are members of the Willow Creek Association. It costs about two or 300 bucks to become a member. It costs 300 bucks to go to their leadership conference. And there's around 50 in the state of Wisconsin There's three in the Fox Cities here. I'm on page four of my letter, and I'm just gonna have to be refined, and I want it to be written in a way that it doesn't sound, um, what's the right word, Lord? I just just want it to uh, come across not as we have our act together and we're perfect and we don't have faults, But this is an issue that that needs to be addressed. And so I'm working on this letter. I'm gonna send it to to these 50 churches that are card-carrying members of Willow Creek and ask them just straight out, are you still going to associate now that they've openly declared that they're endorsing same-sex marriage? And um, their leadership is speaking at national conferences to further further this. Along with the uh, letter, I'm sending a copy of uh, Ruth Christian's book, Love Broke Through. Uh, Everybody knows Ruth. She lived a lesbian lifestyle most of her life. Um, She got born again. Uh, She has her own ministry today. She's written her own book. And she travels all over the country explaining that it's a lie that you were not born this way. And after getting saved and getting rooted and grounded in the Bible, God has used her mightily. And I'm also sending a copy of Paul Smith's book, Uh, The New Evangelicalism, and he explains very well where this all started, this slippery slope. That's hard to say so early in the morning, slippery slope. (laughs) And just what has happened and where it all began. And Paul does such an excellent job to articulate where the universities, the the Christian theological um, community, especially Fuller out in California, and he takes it right out to the very, very end of one world religion and one world government, and he connects all the dots, especially Peter Drucker's influence. Uh, Peter Drucker was a major influence in Bill Hybel's life. Who is Peter Drucker? He is not a Christian. Uh, he's a guru to the CEOs. The people that attend these leadership conferences, most of them are not born-again believers. They're businessmen. They're heads of companies, and so they're... Uh, they're trying to do the, the work of ministry in the power of the human flesh. They're purpose-driven, not spirit-led. That would be an easy way to remember it. They're purpose-driven, not spirit-led. And, and it's all, it makes all the difference. So what do we have? We have very big churches and very influential churches. If you're in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus actually told a parable that um, I think a lot of commentaries don't get it right um, when they teach on this particular parable. It's the parable of the mustard seed. Let's read it and we'll go through it. Uh, Verse 31, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it's greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come in the nest and branches. You go, my goodness, what kind of a parable is that? Um, One thing that uh, we, we learn when we go through Bible school or taking courses in apologetics or hermeneutics is that there's an expression that we use called expositional Constancy with the parables, big fancy word basically it means this that in this parable here, where it talks about a bird if it if a bird represents something here, it will be consistently represented in the other parables. if we don't have a definition of what the bird is here, if we have a definition in another parable, then it'll be consistent, whatever the meaning of the bird is. So if you go back to the parable of the sower in verse 4, a different parable, but Jesus says, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. That would be the word of God. It means that when somebody hears the gospel, then somehow that is taken away. Well, who takes it away? Well, we're told in verse 19. The explanation here is given where it's not in the parable of the mustard seed. When anyone, anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away uh, what is sown in their heart. This is he who receives the word. And um, so the, one, the wicked one here is in a reference to the bird. So if the bird is a wicked one in the parable of the sower, now we have something in uh, the parable of the mustard seed. What we have something is unnatural, okay? First of all, a mustard seed doesn't grow into a tree. How many of you gals have made, and canned and made your mustard? They're little branches that grow in bushes. They don't grow into big, huge trees that birds can go into. So what we have a picture of here, I believe, is something very unnatural. I don't believe the Lord ever really intended for mega churches. Um, I'd like to know, uh, I'm, uh, there's, there are very good large mega churches, but if I understand the scriptures correctly, um, the pastor of that church is accountable for every one of those souls. That's what the Bible teaches. He's accountable to them, as I am to the fellowship here for what is said. And I'm actually accountable to the Lord for your soul. But here's something that is growing that is unnatural. And what is happening to the church today, especially in some of the bigger ones, all of a sudden, even the, the word unnatural, Romans 1, they changed that which is what? Natural, right? Uh, and they, they exchanged and they desired men with men and women with women, which is unnatural. This is unnatural. And what do we have? We have false doctrine. Well, what false doctrine? Um, teaching, trying to, from the totally Kampalos on down, to try to dumb down uh, people, uh, make them feel uh, like they're anti-everything if you ac- actually speak out and say, I'm sorry, my Bible says that's sin. And if I don't warn you about it, it's the most loving thing that I can do is to warn you because I fully understand the consequences. I understand, don't be deceived. I understand that the consequences is you will not go to heaven. How much love do you have for a person to to tell them the truth? Or will you buckle? As many, many, many churches are. All right, so why I'm not surprised that this is happening. Well, the Bible tells us that... In these times, that perilous times are going to come. 2 Timothy 3.1. And um, it says, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. I would like to be optimistic about the trends. But I see that the Bible tells me just the opposite. It's not going to get better and better. The Bible tells me it's going to wax worse and worse. And people are going to be deceiving and being deceived. But then it speaks to us. He says, but you must continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of, knowing from who you have learned him. Paul's talking to Timothy at this point. He's saying, Timothy, don't you remember your grandmother Lois? From a child, she taught you the Bible. She taught you the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you wise. That's what Proverbs is all about. Son, I want to talk to you about the dangers of adultery. You can't take fire into your bosom and not get burned. If you'll listen to me, I love you and I don't want you to get hurt. So hear my words. The Bible will make you wise into salvation through faith in Jesus Christ because all scripture, not just the red letters, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. The Lord did judge Sodom. Let's go back to it, that story this morning. It's in Genesis chapter 19. And I won't tell the, the whole story because many of you are familiar with it. Of course, Uncle Abraham was very, very concerned. The Lord showed up one day and he said he had heard a cry of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah and he's with two angels to check it out. And there's a whole conversation that takes place in chapter 18 where Abraham knows that judgment is imminent. And uh, his nephew, Lot, is living there. So he, obviously he has this concern. So here's this whole dialogue. And uh, Abraham is a loving uncle and he's worried about Lot. And he says, Lord, what about if there's, just say there's 50 people that are righteous. Would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? for the 50 and the lord says no i wouldn't for the sake of the 50 i wouldn't do it well lord what about 40 would, would you spare it for 40 and he says yeah i would spare it for 40 well what about 30 you can, you can see where i'm going with this right and the lord saw where he was going with it he made it down to 10 he said lord what about 10 and with lot and the family that's eight there's got to be two people in this town and he says no for the sake of the 10 i won't do it but there wasn't 10. There was just Lot, just like Noah, as the days of Noah, when he visited Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels show up, and the, the homosexual community wanted the angels. And Lot, blows my mind, was willing to give his virgin daughters over to these perverts so that the angels wouldn't have to deal with them. No problem for the angels. They just blinded the guys, right? What blows my mind is even after they're blinded, they still tried to grope towards the door. We'll pick it up in verse 19 as the angels are begging them to get out of Dodge. It's time to leave. God is going to bring judgment. And um, they lingered. um, And finally, uh, his son-in-law's they thought Lot was joking. And the angels are trying to get them out. So they finally do leave. And verse 17 says, now when you're leaving, make sure you do not look behind nor stay anywhere, escape. And Lot wants to go to, doesn't want to go to the mountains. He wants to go to this particular city. And he says in verse 19, indeed, now your servant, if I found favor in your sight and have increased your mercy, which you have shown me, By saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and die. See now, this city is is near enough to flee to. It's just a little one. Please let me go there. It's just a little one. And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also that I will not overthrow the city which you have spoken for. And then he says, Hurry, escape there. Notice this, this is important, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoa. What I want you to remember here is judgment could not come until Lot and his family was removed from the city. Let's turn to Second Peter, which talks about what Lot went through on a daily basis and how many of us feel the same same way today. Again, we're talking about <clears throat> the judgment that will come on false doctrine and false teachers. <clears throat> in 2 Peter 2, Peter actually refers to what Lot was feeling on a daily basis while he was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I can identify I'm sure many of you can also. Verse one, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false prophets among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who who brought them and delivered them with swift destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth has been blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Oh, you're not being loving. You're not being accepting. God loves all people. Don't you realize that? And if two people love each other, isn't the Bible all about love? No, it's not. God is just, and he will judge. And there is a line that crosses. And it was 8 to 10 was the line. There is a time when the judgment was full. God did not judge the Canaanites and Hittites until their iniquity was full. Interesting choice of words. It grew, it grew, it grew, and the Bible says God will not always strive with man. There comes a day when he says enough, and he sends a flood. But Noah found grace, and he escaped the judgment that came. Now verse four. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction. What? Making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly. In other words, a warning that's supposed to bring the fear of the Lord into a person's life, realizing that you cannot continue in sin without judgment coming. During man's prayer yesterday, we we're, were in Jeremiah. It's all about the coming judgment. And one of the brothers just said, and yes, and judgment's got to start first where? Does it start? In the household of God. And so judgment's going to start with us first. But then he said this, but he delivered, verse 7, he delivered righteous Lot, notice notices who was oppressed with the filthy conduct of the, of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, it tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So as I look at the world today, I grew up in the 70s, leave it to beaver type in the 60s and leave it to beaver type television and, and uh, sort of the end of the innocence. And I see what has happened since then. And um, I am grieved living in the world we're living in today. I am grieved when I hear um, large churches like Willow Creek not only endorsing same-sex marriage but sending people out so that they can promote it and bring in this false doctrine. Don't be deceived, that will lead not to heaven, but will lead to hell. These are destructive um, doctrines that are spoken about in the first three verses of Second Peter chapter two. But then a, a ray of hope as we wind this thing up this morning, and that is then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. The Lord knows how to get Lot out of Sodom. The Lord knew how to get Noah saved by building a boat. Judgment came to both. But both had a means and a way of escaping that particular judgment. Now, um, turn one last place, and that is to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now as you're turning... I think we're pretty ripe for judgment. And um, I don't like talking about it any more than Jeremiah. But I'm not blind either. And I, I see what's happening in the world. I see that it is getting darker and darker. Yes, it's bad. Yes, judgment is coming. Yes, the days are growing to get worse and worse, not better and better. Let me just throw in another doctrinal error. Kingdom now theology. Kingdom now theology teaches that the world is going to get better and better and eventually it's going to be evangelized and when the church has become, the world has become Christianized then the Lord will return. That's folly. You look at the world today, it's disintegrating. And the financial, We're just watching what's going on in Europe and the economy and the financial uh, crisis that's just looming printing trillions of dollars every single day that we don't have. All of us know that the the other shoe is going to drop pretty soon. So anyone say amen to that? You don't don't have to be an economist to see the writing on the wall where we're headed. And you don't have to be an expert in theology to realize that there's something unnatural that's happening to the church and uh, not speaking out on maintaining sound doctrine, but also speaking against False doctrine. Um, and having said that, getting you to First um, Thessalonians, I told you to remember um, that verse. The angel said, make sure you don't look back. And who looked back? Lot's wife. Her heart was in Sodom. She didn't make it. And um, so we have that warning that Jesus said, No man having put his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Nor did he want Lot's wife to have sympathy on God's righteous judgment that he brought upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Are these the days of Lot and can we know? That's the question I'll leave you with this morning. Are we living in the days of Lot? And if we are, how can we know? Well. Paul writing to the Thessalonians in verses one and two, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you don't have any need that I should write to you, for you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord is gonna come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord is a reference to the great tribulation period. When another number is full, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, there's a set number, there's a line drawn. And when that last person gets saved, we are out of here. So if you're that person who's not saved, would you please get your act together? I would like to go home, okay? Heavy sermon, I gotta interject some humor somewhere. But that's what the Bible teaches. When when that last person is saved, then we're out of here. And so, I'm aware that it's late. I know that Israel is a signpost, and I know there are signs all around us. Verse nine. Concerning the day of the Lord, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 11. Therefore, comfort one another and edify one another just as you are doing. Is it bad? Yes. Is it gonna get worse? Yes. Does God have a way? And does he know how to get a lot out of Sodom? Yes. Does he know how to save Noah and his family? Yes. Does he know how to save those who are trying the best they can to serve our Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, we're not perfect. Yes, we make mistakes and sin way too often. But we have an advocate that intercedes for us. And um, I'll leave you with that thought this morning as uh, we watch these things unfold. It, It ends with a word of, therefore, comfort one another. How can we be comforted? Well, God hasn't appointed you to wrath. Judgment's coming, but not on his church. You see, when Jesus said, it is finished on Calvary's cross, my judgment was taken care of then. I deserved it, but the wrath of God came upon him for my sins and your sins. My friends, if you have never accepted the Lord, come on, it's getting late. And how many more opportunities are we gonna have? We don't know what's gonna to happen tomorrow. And uh, I plead with you, if you have not given your heart to Christ and have not taken these words seriously, please don't wait another day, another hour. Make it right before you, you leave this place today. Final verse, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Don't look back at this world God's getting ready to, to judge it. Don't let your heart be here. Where your heart is, hopefully it's up there. Colossians 3.1. If you're born again, then seek those things that are above. Amen? Amen? Stand and pray. Lord, heavy study this morning, but it has to be spoken. And we have to judge false doctrine. As you clearly made a judgment in the past and you will continue to make judgments. Your word tells us that the spiritual man will judge all things. We have to be able to discern so that we can have wisdom to know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. Lord, as we make our way through the Proverbs, we pray for these, your wisdom, for your people in these last days. We thank you so much for the Bible. We thank you so much for the Proverbs. And we just pray that you go before us this day. And in closing, I pray for the dads again. And as they get together with family and friends, I just pray bless them and that their day would be full of the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.